Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red. Your host, Richard Bay, and we've got a bumper podcast that's been... Uh, back at the weekend news of Richard Arnold sitting down in a pub with United fans after that planned Glazer protest outside his home. We'll be discussing the contents of that and you know where we stand maybe on, on that as an incident. We'll look back at the pogumentary and of course we'll bring you all the latest transfer news as well. Um, Samuel, you're back. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad, thank you. I had a nice holiday. I still feel quite jet-lagged, but I I really, I suppose I should have watched this new documentary on Prime and by the sound of things, it would have sent me to sleep, no problem. And I, I wouldn't have been up until about 4am in the morning, but otherwise uh, feeling, feeling not, not refreshed after an active holiday, but very, a very pleasant holiday. But coming back to the jet lag, it's, uh, it's nice to have a bit of structure uh, to try and to try and get me up to speed again. Yeah, I resisted the urge to call it the podcast today. But uh, Ty, how are you doing yourself? Uh, yes, good. Thank you, Rich. Good. Ready for a holiday after two weeks of very little happening. Yeah, and I guess that is maybe one of the stories we'll get onto later. You know, where United are in terms of the transfer window, and Samuel's done a piece today saying, you know, it looks like June might well end without a new player arriving as well. Of course, United start pre-season under Eric Ten Hag a week today. It's next Monday, the twenty seventh of June. But yeah, the main story for United really over the weekend was the news of that planned Glazer protest outside Richard Arnold's home. He met with a group of supporters at a local pub to defuse the situation, to speak to them openly and honestly uh, about the way the club is being run at the moment, about past mistakes and what he plans to change in the future. And I think we said at the time of Richard Arnold's appointment that he did seem to be sort of cut from the, the same cloth, of course, another internal appointment, which has been the track record for United. But we need to give him a chance before we can fairly evaluate where he actually sort of stands in his position. I guess, Sam, we'll start with you on this. How did Richard Arnold come across in, in, that, in those clips to you? And where do you stand on them actually being leaked in the first place? Because I think it was fascinating when we all checked our phones and saw that they were going viral. But, you know, do you think that that is abusing the sort of trust he put in them? Well, from what I was told was that he he said he'd speak to them on the proviso that there was no recording of it, and then of course there were those surreptitious recordings made, and they were um, they were uploaded onto to Twitter and and other social media sites. So I, I have sympathy with him for that because it it probably shouldn't have happened. From a journalistic perspective, it's it's still fascinating, and I suppose although from what I've I gather Arnold was unhappy at those videos being leaked. Uh, he didn't say anything incriminating and he, he came across pretty well. Uh, I think he's made quite a good start as, as well as he could have done anyway, given the circumstances since he, he began as chief executive what, just over four months ago um, in, in those clips at the weekend that I imagine most of the listeners have have seen or read about. Uh, I think he chimed with supporters. He echoed a lot of their sentiments. Uh, he didn't say anything too incendiary. Uh, he didn't say anything incriminate, incriminating, as I say. Um, 
some of the things he was quoted as saying um, on, on some of the, the Twitter feeds uh, from, from the guys who were present, there's, there's, you know, I mean, they were incendiary, but there's no footage of them to, to corroborate that he did in fact say it. But as I said, the, these feeds are where the original source of, of are the original source of these videos popping up as well. Um, I, th- I think he, you know, he's, he's handled, he handled it pretty well. I mean, it's, it's pretty peculiar that a bunch of guys would, you know, on a sunny Saturday want to go to a, a chief executive's house in, in leafy Cheshire and, and try and make a, a statement when, although Arnold has, has worked under the Glazers and he's done a lot of, uh, favorable things for the Glazers to the point that they've appointed him as, as Ed Woodward's replacement. He's not as aligned with them as, as Woodward. Uh, Woodward was a guy who advised them on, on, on the takeover in 2005. Arnold has said and done things to distance himself from the way uh, Woodward acted in, in his role as, as executive vice chairman as well. It, it feels somewhat futile to, at this point anyway, I would say, to target Arnold. And he's he's been savvy about the way he's going about things as well in the in, in one of those clips, he makes it abundantly clear, John Murter, you're the football director, Eric Tenag, you're the manager, you go out and get the players that you want. He, he wants to distance himself from recruitment because he knows he it would be pointless, it would be unwise for him to get involved in that. I remember Woodward, you know, I mean, it's, it's fair to say it now, he, you know, we, we did meet Woodward uh, from time to time uh, when United wanted to communicate things to us that they were doing. And I think it was quite obvious at the time that we had met with him. But he did say at one point that he had nothing to do with recruitment anymore. And then a few months later, he was giving Jude Bellingham and his family a tour of Carrington. And then obviously last year, he was trying to take the glory for the the resigning of of Cristiano Ronaldo. I, I don't think you're going to get that from Arnold whatsoever, and I think that's wise and that's sensible to take to take a step back and leave football people to involve themselves with with football matters. So, as I said, I think he he, he emerged from it quite well, and so far as chief executive, I think he's 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 you know he's he's going about his job in a very um, in a very serious and uh, an impressive way as as far as he can do. But of course, actions speak louder than words. And there is a clamour, certainly from the online contingent at the moment for, for signings. But, you know, United are are doing, are trying to do things, but there there's mitigation behind why nothing has happened on that front so far. And, you, you, you know, we've got to be fair to him. We've, we've got to give him um, a chance. We've got to give him time before we can fairly assess and evaluate uh, the, the impact he's had on United. I mean, things like the, I mean, I wrote about it last month about his unhappiness with the social media uh, side of things at the club. And obviously that was something he was quoted as, as, as saying that he was, you know, there was change um, coming there in, in that department, which I'm sure would be welcomed by, by supporters because you know, the social media strategy, it has been tone deaf. And although it, it's not the biggest issue in the grand scheme of things. It is still an issue because that is their their way of communicating with uh, as many supporters as possible. And they've just gone about it in a, as I said, a, a tone deaf way. And you know, even as recently as the, the, the epitaph to Pogba and the Pogba farewell, it was. I, I don't know. I don't know who's making those decisions, um, but. 
it, it, they were just really bad decisions, as as everybody could could see at the time. But going back to the the pub meeting on on Saturday, I was I was a little bit disappointed that nobody at United just didn't dismiss it as oh, it was just purely pub talk because that was literally the case. But mm. they had to take it seriously. It obviously got the traction and the and the the coverage that you'd expect it to um, on, on what was another quiet weekend as far as football was concerned. It, I, was, I was surprised some newspapers didn't do as much in it as, as as others did, given that it was it was a big story and he, he did say certain things that were of, of interest. But where the, the key thing was he didn't say anything incriminating. So it's not like his his position is is in jeopardy at all. He's he's conducted himself pretty well just going off these snippets we've seen so far. Yeah, exactly. And Ty, I suppose some of the maybe harsher things he did say, maybe the hard hitting stuff, they were just home truths anyway. It was, you know, it was like Ralph Rannick turned up again, wasn't it? I mean, United need to accept that they are where they are and to change that, they need to come to terms with the mistakes they've made. From your point of view, Richard came across well as well. And was there any sort of standout moments when you thought that really sort of did hit home? Um, yeah, I, I thought he did come across very well. He was very, um, like you say, he was he was very honest. And it does, with what he said and what we've sort of picked up from speaking to people around the club, um, obviously, I mean, Arnold, Arnold doesn't do interviews and hasn't done one since he mentioned the phenomenal success that Solskjaer was having. So <clears throat> maybe for the best, he doesn't do interviews around the football side of things. But you certainly get the impression that he knows why things have gone wrong at United, that he understands where the mistakes have been made and is trying to fix them. You know, it's no coincidence that since he took over on February the 1st, there's been so many changes in staff in in key areas and probably changes that we haven't seen in staff as well. Um, Even just picking up on things like the um, earnings calls, which are now twice yearly, I think. You know, Edward would use the domino days and talk about every aspect of the club. In Arnold's first, there was a cast of thousands, basically. There was heads of department from every possible department who spoke about their expertise. And that's kind of what you, that's the impression you get from Arnold, that he knows what he's good at and he knows what he's not good at or where people can help him. And obviously of most interest to Man United as a football club is the football side of things. And clearly he knows that's that's not his strength. And like Samuel said, it was interesting that he said, John Mercer, football director, Eric Denar is the manager, who do you want? And it is putting those decisions on people like that, letting John Murta run the football side of the business. I mean, I don't think it's any secret that Murta's been empowered since since Arnold took over. And it does feel like he does he does, you know, fixing those issues are another thing, but he's he understands, I think, why things have gone wrong. And I think there's I think there's an element with people who've been at United for a while now that things have gone so wrong over the last nine years. There's been so many bad decisions that anyone who's been there for a length of time is basically just considered part of the problem. By, mm. by supporters and almost like it needs to be an entire clean slate. Like Arnold, Arnold's just another Glazer stooge because he's been there for so long. Murta doesn't know what he's doing. He's been there for so long and we're still rubbish. But these people are in different jobs now. Murta, you know, you, you know, Rich from the academy, that Murta's had a lot of success in putting processes in place and things in place at the academy. He built the women's team very quickly. It's a different kettle of fish now, but things that have happened in the first team in the last nine years aren't necessarily that much of his fault. Same with Arnold. Things that Woodward did not uh, are not really Arnold's fault. And just because he's been there a while doesn't mean he's just as useless as the previous guy. And I do get the feeling that things have gone so badly wrong that it's almost like there's 
there's a um, a feeling that everyone who's been there for a while now is just doomed to failure and he's going to fail. And that's not necessarily the case. Let me say it's early days for Arnold. We don't get to hear him speak very often, apart from on an earnings call or, or down the pub, seemingly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when he when he does speak, he, he does... He does speak common sense, and I think he he understands um, what's being said. And certainly, from those fans that went, those protesters that went, all seem to speak fairly positively positively of him. People who are you know fans who are on the fans forum always say that he he engages on that. He listens to what's being said. He you know he takes on board what's being said. And whatever your view of the fans forum, it it is at least in place. It is at least an attempt to engage with fans. And if he's taking it seriously and engaging, then. You know, that's that's probably what that's what United fans need, mm. really. And I understand there's a desire to protest and desire to keep the, you know, the, the anti-Glazers um, sort of protest in the spotlight. But I'm not sure Arnold's really the, the greatest target. I'm not sure there's much he can do. And he is, like we say, pe- people who are on the fans forums, obviously we're not on and people who are on it speak highly of him generally and say he does try and engage with fans. He does try and listen. He does try and take fans' views on board. So, you know, it's early days, but I think, Generally, it, it certainly feels like he he gets what's gone wrong and what needs to be fixed. Exactly. And now from pub talk to pog talk, Samuel, the man that does speak quite a bit of now. And like I said, you've not watched the documentary yourself. You will have read, I'm sure, lots of the stories about it. I'm sure you would have enjoyed that on your flight home. Um, yeah, poor Pog was left the club. It wasn't Antoine Griezmann's decision. You know, there wasn't any more sort of clarity of what he's going to do next. He said he wants to prove that United are wrong not to make him the contract offer that, that he felt he was, he was worth. But, yeah, Paul Pogba, where do you stand on this this documentary? And do you think it sort of just sums him up, really? I mean, in the in the piece itself, his lawyer refers to him as a brand that they've built from scratch. And I suppose that's rather fitting of him as he leaves United after six years and hasn't really done much. Yeah. Um, I, I wasn't the only one, but... You, you two were the same as well. We, we were all right about him, uh, but there were some people who were in denial or who were wrong. It's, it's been interesting to see that some United fans on Twitter uh, holding their hands up and saying, how could I have been so wrong about uh, this guy? Like, you know, he's, he's shown his true colours now, but we we knew that a long time ago and you tried to give context with it in terms of how popular he was at, at Carrington and with, with the staff and the players and how he how he trained well and you know th- there would there were some great moments along the way but ultimately he was he was knowingly offered to Manchester City four and a half years ago and that that's probably not even in the top 10 um, you know, major major flare-ups that he he had at United and and that was that was pretty seismic at the time uh, the day before a derby Guardiola coming out with that and Raiola never denied it and there were times where people would try and defend Pogba and say oh Raiola doesn't speak for him when it was it was very obvious that he did speak for him uh, there was there was no point there was no point even debating it with with certain certain people. It was just you you put your view out there, and which was you know, pretty cast iron and pretty sound. But there would be still some crazies who would would defend him and probably do still defend him, which I, I just can't fathom. I, I hope for United's case, those those fans in inverted commas they they go off to Juventus when when Pogba joins Juventus because United don't need them. They're they're not United fans. They're they're Pogba fans and. And he's welcome to them. I remember reading a piece about Pogba in, I think it was on the eve of the last World Cup, 
um, on ESPN. It was an interesting read in that it had a lot of detail in there about the family that he lived with when he first came over to Manchester and this inner circle of people that he hadn't necessarily been introduced to before. But I reread a bit of it again today. And it's, it's by a terrific writer, Wright Thompson, who uh, I don't know if you have, if anyone's ever read his piece about Suarez around uh, just before the World Cup in 2014. If you've not read it, seek it out. It's, it's one of the great long reads I've ever come across um, in, in football writing. But this read um, on Pogba, while fascinating in places, at the time I thought, is this a brochure? Like, is this a serious piece of work? Because some of the words used in it are, and they're not in the dictionary, these words either, pog mood, pog tense, pog force, pog boom, pog house, pog tank, pog daddy, pog mondrian, pog wag, pog chef, pog world. And whilst reading that at the time and reading it again, I think like, is this real? And has this been published in a serious publication? And, and it was. But that was Pogba back then, and that is Pogba now. He he is all about a brand. And I remember being told at the time, uh, and again, in the list of Pogba incidents, it's probably not a top 10, but the time where he became the first footballer to get an emoji, and he had the emoji carved into his hair, and he had it painted into his hair, hair on the eve of United versus Liverpool. And what happens? He punches the ball in his own area to give Liverpool a penalty, whilst this emoji is flashing on the advertising hoardings and he has an absolute stinker of a game. I was told after it, about only a few weeks earlier, Herrera was told he was, and Herrera was told he was going to have a, a sponsor's engagement after a game and he said he would only do it if, if United won. Now, Pogba would never be of that mindset or that mentality. Uh, he, he, was, he was just a, a very, very selfish player at United. He didn't want to be at United for the majority of his time that he was there. The plan was to get him out after three years. Raiola tried. Raiola failed. It took eventually for him to run down his contract or you know, a combination of that contract and, and the COVID-19 pandemic and United's unwillingness to sell him because they had a soft touch of, of a manager in charge in 2019 that he lasted as long as he did. And as I said, you know, what what he what he came out with in the documentary about oh this is a nothing offer um, it doesn't surprise me where where he's concerned um, you know it, it did it did it did evoke memories of reading about reading Ashley Cole's uh, quip in his in his autobiography however many years ago that was sixteen years ago I think how he almost swerved off the road because Arsenal only offered him fifty five grand a week I mean certain footballers are a, of a different different beast and in fairness to Cole Arsenal were 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 not exactly um trying to do their utmost to keep him and if a if a player was actually worth 60 grand a week I mean Cole was earning double that I think at Chelsea it was it was it was him because he was a brilliant player for Chelsea and he was a brilliant player for England uh Pogba was not a brilliant player for United and you know Whenever we would go on away trips, and I remember going to Bruges and there was a bit of noise around Pogba because it was one of those times when he had an injury and the return date kept on getting pushed back, which was as much a problem, an issue with the manager because he couldn't give a, a, an accurate time frame on his return date as it was with the player. But you knew that the player was probably taking the mickey as well. 
and a fan coming up to us uh, while we were having a drink in the hotel lobby and just venting about Pogba. And that wasn't the only time as well. With the matchgoers, they, 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 they saw through him, but it's not as simple as that in this day and age uh, with social media. And, and Pogba is a social media player. He's a player that kids want, want on the back of their shirt. They want to play as Pogba on FIFA because of his rating on FIFA. That's the way the world works now. And you try your utmost to educate these kids uh, and sometimes they just don't listen and there's only so much educating you you can do. Ultimately, Mourinho was right. United didn't listen to him and they pandered to player power and all it resulted in doing was just extending their, their trophy drought. So, you know, it'll be interesting if, if Pogba does ever return to United to... To, to see what reception he gets because it'll be it'll be far worse than what Di Maria got. I mean, I was quite taken aback by the stick Di Maria got with PSG. It would be a hell of a lot worse for, for Pogba given uh, how he behaved during his time at United and how he's behaved now that he's left. Ty, on the subject of Pogba then, I mean... We've always said, haven't we, that United need this clear out, need this overhaul. This summer, they are losing six players on a, on free transfers, and there'll be more who will go out the door as well. But in terms of the actual personalities and characters that they are losing, they're losing lots of experienced heads in, in that dressing room. I know we've spoken about it in the past. How important is it now for Eric Ten Hag, not only to replace someone with the authority of Paul Pogba, but then to also try and maybe shift the player power balance down a notch and, and get himself back in control and get the authority himself this summer. Yeah, I think it, you know, I think it is important. You're right there, of the players going, I mean, if the obviously Lee Grant's experienced um in a different kind of way, I guess, but if the outfield players going, I think they're pretty much all over 29. Um, the five outfield players, there is a lot of experience going. It is a chance to clearly reshape that that dressing room. Um, Pogba is a dominant personality. I think Generally, wherever he's got his teammates seem to like him. Teammates seem to flock to him. That doesn't always mean it's necessarily a good thing. I mean, we saw, everyone would have seen his, his speech, um, I think it was at half-time, or was it pre-match in the World Cup final in, in Russia? Um, but that was the type of leadership we rarely saw from him at United. The, you know, the, the, there was lots of fluff in that documentary, but there's questions that would be nice to be answered after six years, such as, where do you actually think your best position is? And, you know, he's leaving United after six years. I don't think any of us know where he really should have played for this team. So there are, you know, there, there are questions there. And I think it's always going to be a bit of a, a mystery why it went so badly. I think after, you know, the, after his new challenge in 2019, I think he's effectively sort of lost motivation over the last three years and not down tools to a full extent, but he's just coasted, I think, over the last three years. But yeah, it is, it is a chance to change the, the, the power dynamic in the dressing room. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the captain. We've spoken about that before. Um, but I think there is a gap there experience-wise as well. I'm, you know, I, I wrote this not long after that Brentford game that I thought Ericsson would be a good signing for United. And I can see why they're going for someone like that. There's a um, there's, there's narrative that Ten Hag builds young teams and focuses on, on young players. And that's why a lot of United fans are attracted to him. And he did inherit a very youthful squad in Ajax. But... The players he signed for money generally at Ajax were all very experienced. Some of them in their thirties: um, Daley Blind, Davy Klassen, uh, Stephen Berkus. I think was twenty nine. Um, couple Tadic of others. Tadic was twenty seven. Tadic, yeah. Tadic, twenties. Yeah. 
Stecklenberg, I think he signed in goal, was well in his 30s. So he generally signed older players to go with the youthful heads. Mm -hmm. And his Ajax team was almost all, you know, I think of last season's regular 11, I think Sebastian Haller was the only one that was aged between 24 and 30. They were all either young or at the other end of the spectrum and coming to the end of their career. So you can see why he's attracted to someone like Ericsson and, and that experience. But it is definitely, like you said, a chance to to reshape the dressing room. You'd expect more players to go. Um, we were talking about this off camera before that come the tour, there's, there's players who would clearly want to leave and who, you know, Eric Bailly is a prime example. He wants to leave. United want rid of him. Whatever happened last season, his standing clearly took a battering because he ended the season behind Phil Jones in the pecking order. Um, there was clearly, you know, there's clearly issues going on behind the scenes there. That new contract was an absolute farce. He signed that contract 14 months ago and has played 13 games since. So players like Bailly, you'd think would, you'd want rid as soon as possible. Uh, managers always talk these days about getting, what's to say, energy givers and energy takers and that sort of modern day, modern day speak. And you can imagine players like Bailly though, and even maybe Wan-Bissaka to a degree, who've been told they are part of their plans and they're going to go. In a way, you wouldn't want them on tour because mm. whoever they're tagging along with, whoever their friends, you know, whoever they're close to in the dressing room, they are to a degree going to be negative about the whole thing because they know their future is not there. So I think for Ten Hag, ideally, he would want that squad trimmed down by July the 8th at least and players who who know they're going out of the door, really, and, and not going on tour. Exactly. And it did Solskjaer no favours last time they went on tour when Lukaku was sat there on the bench with this mystery illness yeah. and then signs for Inter Milan, has an incredible season, you know, no injury worries at all. So, like you said, Ty, it's just, you've got the authority to do it now as well with a new manager. So he just needs to really embrace that and say, you know, I've got no sort of allegiances to any of you other than Donny van der Beek and uh, get rid of all the, get all rid of all the rest of them, really, that he doesn't want. Um, Samuel, in terms of replacing Pogba as well, I mean, it's not like for like, but Frankie de Jong, he's the player all United fans want to hear about. What is the latest on him? And do you think he will become a United player this summer? The last I was told was that they were they were making progress uh, in the discussions. There, there's a lot of a lot of nuances with it. United's obviously given that United have still not signed anyone, that's causing a bit of commotion with supporters, and they've not gone a whole June without signing a player since 2010. And even that year, they'd already signed Chris Smalling in January and Javier Hernandez in, in April, and they'd had their tours of Old Trafford. So given that this needs to be, you know, this is the summer of a massive squad rebuild, possibly the biggest squad rebuild in living memory for United, it's not a good look if they go through the entirety of June without signing a player. United's outlook on it is that the transfer window is 12 weeks long. We're only a couple of weeks into it. And also, they they believe if they'd signed De Jong in the first week of June, say, they'd have too willingly yielded to, to Barcelona's demands and that they'd have paid the, the starting asking price. And it might have reduced their capacity to strengthen other areas of the squad because they've spent more on one player when certain funds could be um, dedicated for, for other players to strengthen other areas of the squad. So that's the mitigation of it and the, the added context as to why this is becoming quite a protracted deal. But, you know, my gut instinct at the moment is that because discussions are still ongoing and because Ten Hag really wants him and because there seems to be a reluctant acceptance on De Jong's part that he is going to have to leave Barcelona because Barcelona 
want rid of him now, it probably will happen. But it doesn't mean that it won't. It, it doesn't mean there's not a chance that it, it might not happen as well. Uh, you know, I can only see your way, name in the fan accounts there, Samuel. Well, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, the the, the 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 parasites will be picking up on it already. I'm sure, and, and, and quoting me completely out of context. But uh, you know, ultimately, I wouldn't be surprised if he does sign or if he doesn't sign. Uh, United insists they have fallback targets who are cheaper. Uh, their, their valuation is not as high as De Jong's, but Ten Hag really wants De Jong. Uh, so if, if and he's clearly attainable because Barcelona prepared to sell him. United don't have any competition at the moment, so it's worth continuing. And the other point United make, which is, is quite a relevant one as well, because of these, you know, this elongated um, set of, of June internationals, the start date of an international signing. Is, is delayed automatically because they, they go on a, a three-week holiday and some players' last games were, were on the 11th or the 14th. So De Jong was never, ever going to be coming into Carrington. If they had signed him in time, he was never going to be at Carrington on the 27th of June with the other non-internationals. He might not even be at Carrington if they do sign him in time on July the 4th. I suppose the key date or dates would be when United fly off to Bangkok on July the 8th for the first first friendly of their pre-season tour against Liverpool or when they get to Australia uh, for two games in Melbourne when the, the, the training camp will be a lot calmer because it's Australia and it's not Asia. In Asia, we've, we've seen it, you know, it's, it's, it's so frenzied around United and they're not spending a lot of time in Thailand anyway. So you, you would you'd hope for United's sake they will have some players in place to be training with the squad. New something's, of course, training with the squad in Australia. Um, I mean, the, the, wh- whether De Jong is, is a good idea or not is, is a whole other debate. But as, as Ty and I were discussing earlier off, off, off camera, there's a hell of a lot of risk involved with it, um, purely because clearly Ten Hag sees him as the main midfielder. There's every chance they will not get another midfielder. So you are still without a defensive midfielder, which is, is just a huge, huge risk. You would, you'd think it would be more logical to go out and sign. I mean, if United didn't sign another centre-back, but they signed another midfielder, I think everybody would say, yeah, you know what, fair enough. You know, you've got a lot of defenders. Let's get by with that defence for another, another season. Maybe not all of them, but... That, that roster of centre backs, okay, let's let's go with that as long as we've got a defensive shield in front of them, and then you don't necessarily have to get another centre back. But just the prospect of De Jong receiving the ball from Harry Maguire in his own third in the Premier League, it's it's easy to see how it could go wrong. De Jong would have to get up to speed very very quickly. He's quite a slight player as well. He obviously operates near a defensive midfielder, but he's not a defensive midfielder. He gets the ball and his instinct is to make make the play tick and to move the ball forward. If you parachuted him into City's team, he would be brilliant for obvious reasons, because of Guardiola, because of the structure at City, because of the players he'd be surrounded with, uh, sorry, surrounded by. The other issue I have with it, and I have in general with Ten Hag, looking at players who play for Ajax or used to play for Ajax, is that certainly in De Jong's case, Ajax, Barcelona and the Netherlands are all culturally aligned with a way of playing dating back to 
Johan Cruyff and Rinus Michels in the 70s, it's not difficult to get up to speed. The Eredivisie, you know, the standard of it is not great. There's a reason why Premier League rejects do well there. La Liga operates at a sedate pace as well. United don't so much have an identity crisis as an obsolete identity. You know, the, the, the United identity of wingers, 4-4-2 and all that, it just it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore. Um, and credit to Ten Hag, he clearly wants to modernise United's midfield and their way of playing. And going for De Jong is, is an ambitious move. It's a bold move. But a lot has to go right for that to work quickly and to ease the pressure on Ten Hag because if he if he's targeting sorry not if he is targeting players he's familiar with from from in Holland that piles more pressure on him because they are very much his signings he's got the autonomy at United they're working off his his wish list um there is merit in in managers signing players they've previously worked with it's worked for a number of managers there, there are too many to mention but if you start going to extremes, that's where you could play yourself into trouble. I mean, it's interesting just going off the, the last Dutch United manager, Louis van Gaal, five of his 13 signings were players that he'd worked with previously. And, you know, how many of them were, were successful? I think Daley Blind was a decent player for, for United and, and pretty good for van Gaal. But probably the the best was was Sergio Romero and he was a he was a backup goalkeeper so i th- i th- i think there are arguably more cons than pros with Dion brilliant footballer th- though he is just because of the state united are in at the moment but if they do sign him they they should rightly trumpet it as a coup because he, he's a brilliant player, despite the fact that there, if he does join United, there is only one reason why he's joining, and that's because of the manager. Um, and there's only so much pull Ten Hag has, uh, as far as that is concerned. It probably, it probably is restricted to just Dion because you know, Anthony. If, if something were to happen with Urian Timber, which is looking a bit more unlikely now, uh, they're not they're not elite players. They're not players that it's. You know, it's, it's a, it, you would say it's a coup to get them. Uh, De Jong is a bit different, but there's there's a lot of mitigation with it. Yeah, it'd be interesting if total football can be can transform the tra- the totally inept football of last season. That we have to deal with. Um, <laughs> Ty, in terms of United summer business, then Samuel's written today that five players being targeted in an ideal world by Ten Hag in his first summer. Do you have any faith that they'll actually be able to do that? I think they'll probably end up with four or five. Um, I think we've always said, ever since Ranjit came out with that six, seven, eight, ten um, idea at Liverpool, but definitely definitely not nine. Um, it was, you know, I think ten was always very ambitious and that was clearly Ranjit speaking in the, the heat of the moment after a thrashing against Liverpool. I think we always said if United got half that number, it would be a good summer. And I think if they got five, it would be a good summer. You can see it being four or five. You can certainly see, um, you know, like I I think De Jong will probably happen um, as a guess. I think it's, you know, in a way, there's almost too much committed for it now. And I think both parties need it to happen. I think it's, I think it, you know, if you, if you have to put me on the spot, I think it probably will. And I think an attacker will obviously happen of some description. After that, I guess it's all a bit, 
uncertain really defensively um you know it almost doesn't make sense to sign a center half or a right back at the moment which are your two potential areas because you've got five center backs and you've got two right backs so it is about who moves on there um but i think clearly the priorities are midfielder and attacker if you've got de jong in if you've got anthony in it's a decent start i think anthony would add obvious balance to that that team but you know like samuel says it is it does have the feel of almost getting the band back together a bit. If, if the four signings were Ericsson, De Jong, Timber and um, Anthony, it would be a, a very unusual transfer window. You've basically signed four four players with, with Ajax links there. But yeah, I, I can see it being four or five in the end. But I think it's, I think it'd be a case that midfield and attack will be sorted relatively, relatively quickly, you know, by, by that, while that tour is ongoing, maybe. And then defensive signings are probably going to drag on into August, maybe. Yeah, and Sam, you've already touched upon this yourself. You know, in terms of some areas of the pitch, it does still rely on shifting players. You've already um, midfield, like you said, is the biggest priority, and that's going to probably be unaffected because there's not many midfielders to get rid of anymore now that so many have left for free. But I guess defence, and you've got so many left wingers as well at the club that maybe could be argued one of them needs to be given a chance on the right as well. It just feels a bit harder to justify some of the other areas of the pitch for, for reinforcement. Well, the the issue is centre-back. Uh, I mean, it's not been difficult. It's not been too difficult for us, fortunately, to um, source names as to who, who they're interested in. As you've, you know, you've done the story on on Torres, uh, Carmo's another name who they've, they've had a couple of rounds of discussions about and, uh, Timber is, is is clearly. I, I think Ten Hag actually championed him pretty much in, in one of his last interviews as Ajax manager. But United can literally field three different back fours at the moment with players who who you recognise. They're not. I don't think any of them are kids. I think I'm not even sure any of them are teenagers. In fact, um, I think it's Ted Mengi twenty now. So if you were to pair him with Tuanzebe, if indeed he was to be one of the one of the six. Um, they've got a hell of a lot of defenders and there's an acceptance that despite a lot of noise and um, stories about their interest in a centre-back or, or a full-back, which is, is obviously genuine, they need to get rid of one or two or, or maybe three um, centre-backs to to give them the leverage to actually strengthen that area or, or, or certainly enhance that area. And it's easier said than done because... Ultimately, as, as Ty touched upon, Bai's stock is so low at the moment that Phil Jones ended last season, not even ended last season, it was it seemed like for quite a few months he was ahead of him in, in, in the pecking order there. United gave him that ridiculous contract. So he it's prohibitive to, to get rid of him. There, there isn't going to be a club that comes in in early June or mid-June or late June and says, can we have Eric Bai, please? the competition is just not there. It, it makes sense for clubs to to you know, sweat it out and, and and for United to maybe reduce their asking price, or whether it's a permanent sale or a loan. Eventually, you'd think Bayes got to go. The, the real test for, for Ten Hag and United, how serious they are when it comes to outgoings, will be the tour squad. Because United are so bad at selling players that I think the whole resale value argument just has to go out the window. I don't think there's any benefit to taking Wambasaka or Bai or Jones on pre-season tour, possibly to Nzibi as well, if you've decided that that he's not going. Um, Brandon Williams has, has been made aware that you know, 
he's he's free to get a uh, to, to seek a new club as well. So, but I, I'm I'm fully expecting some of those names to be to be on the plane to to Bangkok in in a couple of weeks' time. But that's the balance United have got to strike, and you know it, it's very easy to form an opinion of a manager before their first game because those decisions have to be made. And as you said, with with midfield, because so many have gone, it's easy to get one in straight away. But this whole sell-to-buy policy, it does exist in some areas. It doesn't up front. They want a forward in. It might not necessarily be a centre-forward. It it could just be a fluid forward, someone who can play across the the lines. I mean, Anthony does fit that, 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 that bill if you like but more importantly he would balance what is still a very very lopsided attack and uh and, and with as i said with midfield you know they're, they're trying to get Diong in and if, if they get him in that that could be a transformative signing it could be a disastrous signing it'd be fascinating to see how it plays out and it'd be fascinating to see how such a talented player would would fare in the premier league but ultimately <laughs> As we we could say you know they've got so many defenders, but they had their worst defensive season in what since nineteen seventy eight seventy nine last season. So they've got to do something about it. I I don't think they can go by the whole summer without making a, a defensive signing. You can make a defensive signing with a midfielder if you get an, an out and out defensive midfielder in. Um, but to go the whole summer without making a reinforcement that tightens up. Um, tightens up at the back, I think would be you know, would, would be negligent. Really, I, there's there's just not a credible argument to say they can go a whole summer without getting one, and and they want a, a defender as well. So they've um, they've made that abundantly clear. It's it's been clear for, for some time. So if they end the transfer window without a defensive signing of some sort coming in, that's going to be a huge a huge area of concern, irrespective of the fact that they've got a new coach in who could and should improve certain players. Exactly, and there'll be even less sympathy last season when their defence inevitably uh, capitulates, if that's the case as well. Like I say, you just always need to do it for principle as well, and it'll definitely appease supporters. Uh, Ty, since we last recorded the podcast as well, there's been a few changes at academy level. Mark Dempsey will be taking charge in the 23s next season. Charles Binion promoted to head of player development. Paul McShane a player development coach, Justin Cochran, leaving for Brentford. United want to try and get in someone who can replace Paul McShane in a sort of player coach role next season, although there is a small pool of candidates to do that. But yeah, more change for United at academy level, and especially after a season in which they've just won the Youth Cup and you know they maybe just wanted a bit of consistency. There's all change again. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I guess they've I guess they've got the consistency with the 18s, with Travis Binion staying, but there's maybe an argument that a lot of those players are going to move up to 23s anyway. So the head coach that's had a lot of success could maybe have, have moved up. Um, it sounds like the way they're going to they're going to work the under-23s next year is going to be pretty fluid because I, I don't think Mark Dempsey's role is on the grass with the 23s day-to-day necessarily. Um, I think he's more sort of a managerial academy role and, and coaching the coaches and keeping an eye on sort of all age groups and, and what the coaches are doing really and then he'll be dipping into the 23s on a match day um sounds like paul mcshane will, will essentially be his assistant because <clears throat> neil wood went to salford uh neil ryan was his assistant and left i think and took an fa job so there has been a lot of change there um you know the, the most interesting job there is 
was Paul McShane's and, and what he was doing. I think there was only a couple of other clubs. I think maybe was it Southampton that had a similar player in a similar role. I can't remember now, but it fairly, um, you know, a fairly unique role having a senior pro on the pitch in in 23's games to talk players through games. So interesting they're looking to 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 replace that position. Who it would be? It is a a pretty small pool of players really that that you're looking for. Someone who obviously wants to go into coaching and, and who's still happy to play for another year, albeit at a not particularly competitive level. I don't think anyone really cares about Premier League two and those results and and what's happening with it, unless you happen to make the playoffs or be in a title decider, then I don't think anyone really cares. But it's an interesting role nonetheless. And United clearly feel it it added value last year and we're pretty happy with how it went with with Paul McShane. And obviously he impressed enough to stay on. So it'll be interesting to see um, if anyone ends up sort of filling that role and, and how it works next year. Yeah, well, I know someone who scored at Old Trafford last month who uh, maybe would put themselves forward, but uh, I'm sure you can go back and listen to a previous podcast if you want any clues on who that may be. Um, fixture news came out as well. I don't really get excited by it. United have to play everyone twice. That's it, really, isn't it? Who, who cares? Do you care, Samuel? Uh, no, no. I'll, I'll be short and sweet. But it's, it's nice to have an idea of whether you're going to be Traveling far on Boxing Day or not, I yeah. suppose, but uh, we still don't know the, the bloody kickoff time or whether it will indeed be on Boxing Day. Uh, so that's yeah, as you say, don't 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 particularly care about it until the actual dates and times are confirmed. Yeah, it's something that gives you that sort of immediate five minute lift where you when you feel oh, that's going to be exciting to plan out your weekends ahead, but you quickly forget about who United are playing. But just confirmation and reminder, United will start the season against Brighton on Sunday, the 7th of August, and that's Brentford away, Liverpool at home, Southampton and Leicester both away as well. Um, I guess finally then, to to end this podcast, we will once again uh, look at pre-season. Like you said, Samuel, it starts next Monday. What can we expect in the week heading up to United's official start of pre-season on the 27th of June? Anything at all? <laughs> God. That, that, that is the ultimate hospital pass, that is. Uh, <laughs> I, I well, you. you well, yeah, I guess you... most of the questions. What will Ten Hag be doing this week? Do you think? I mean, it, we always have. We always hear about his reputation of having meticulously planned out his training sessions and how he's going to prepare his team for the new season. Like you said, players officially back from next week. Some have started already. Oh, was that? I, I thought, yeah, that oh, was it. Frozen, then. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> this 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 is really a, a real tricky one. This, um, well, the, the non-internationals are back uh, next Monday, so you'll have. I mean, there'll be there'll be a decent caliber of players that turn up. I mean, De Gea, Henderson, uh, Sancho, Will, Rashford, Will, Van der Beek, Will. I think there'll be a. From what I was told this morning, there'll be another big batch on the fourth of July, just because those international international players who've had an extra week off so that they'll come in then, but there will be some staggered returns. There, there always seems to be one player who you're thinking, where, where the hell is he? I mean, we had it quite a lot last season, uh, last summer, particularly with Sancho. It, it didn't really make a lot of sense with what was going on there. He's, his return, sorry, not return, his his reporting date for pre-season training kept on getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And it didn't really benefit him at all because he didn't start the season. He didn't have a proper pre-season. Uh, he came into the squad on a bit of a, not a bit of a low, but quite, a, you know, quite distraught after the Euros and the the abuse he got for the penalty miss in the final. And 
come September, he was he was dropped by Solskjaer. So you can't underestimate how important it is for him to have have a full pre-season. I must admit, some of these you know these fitness videos, it was interesting seeing Tony Strudwick, who used to work, um, used to be a United fitness um, staff member, um, questioning you know what, whether some certain players who put these videos out of them getting into shape, whether they're this committed every other week of the year and it was liked by of all people Mike Phelan which I thought was somewhat telling as to the um, uh, the attitude of certain players at United possibly but these fitness videos I mean it was mildly impressive about six years ago now I don't think anybody really cares it's like mm. Peter Crouch t- told an interesting story I think a few years ago when he said there was a player at Stoke who was dreadful in training he was a dreadful professional we tossed it off but because he was like an exotic name or there was there was a bit of uh, you know glamour about him among the fan base when he'd go home he would do his own personal fitness videos and show how how apparently dedicated he was and then of course all the stoke fans would be saying look how look how committed this guy is why isn't he getting more chances why isn't he playing more often so it's it's easy to take a a, a dim view of of those things as i said i think they were mildly impressive six years ago now particularly as far as United are concerned nobody cares after last season um and you know in fairness to Pogba it's it's only fair to mention as well um the Jesse Lingard uh TikTok entrance video that was recorded the weekend um you know judging by the feedback on my WhatsApp from United fans I think everybody's quite glad to see the back of him as well yeah, well, as we said earlier in the podcast, it is a huge chance for a clean slate this summer and only time will tell whether that is taken full advantage of or not. But we will be with you every step of the way and all week heading up to the 27th of June. United do start pre-season. We'll hopefully give you information on who is there at Carrington as well for Ten Hag's first session. So, Samuel, Tyrone, thank you very much. And thank you once again, wherever you are in the world listening podcast. to this. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we will see you again next time.